They probably remember me battling James. For me, just you know, you got a dog, you got a warrior coming that can guard any position, you can mix it up with anybody. It's going to go out there and get it done. You are locked on fantasy basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. And welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, brought to you by Fantrax and Basketball Monster. And today's Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast is also brought to you by Blue Apron. Go to blueapron.com slash L-O-F-B to get three free meals. My name is Josh Lloyd, and as always, you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Instagram at RedRock underscore B-Ball as well, and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Basketball. I am coming to you today from my hotel room here in Salt Lake City as I get ready for the first day of Utah Summer League. I apologize if the sound quality is not quite up to scratch. It is the problem that when you uh, you bring audio equipment from Australia and then you try and run it in the U.S., the uh, differences in voltage or wattage or whatever you guys have, it creates this infernal buzz that I am hearing at a much larger volume than what you will hear because I will attempt to edit it out as much as possible, but there will be some level of crackle in my voice and maybe a slight uh, hum that you hear in the background, and I, I, I apologize unless I go out and find myself a US-based mix, mixer, which I might have to do for these couple of shows that, uh, that we record over here. That's all I'm going to do. That's why I'm not doing these shows live on video either, because I'll have no way of being able to edit that audio or that ridiculous hum that I'm hearing out of the out of the audio, which is a real pain in the ass. But that's the uh, that's the issue when I when I come across here and have to uh, have to record these shows on site. Really pumped for summer league tonight. We've got uh, the Celtics taking on the Sixers, Fultz versus uh, Fultz versus Tatum, of course. In that one, then Jazz versus Spurs later on, where we've got uh, Dante Exum taking on Dejounte Murray. Among others, Derek White there, Donovan Mitchell, Ante Zizic playing for the Celtics, Lawawu Cabro for the Sixers, lots of players who I'm going to be really interested to see, and I'll have a show tomorrow, which I know is uh, July 4th. For, for all us people over here in the States, uh, I'll have a show tomorrow recapping uh, recapping the action from the first day of Utah Summer League, because there'll be a lot, of, uh, a lot of interesting things that go down over there. Um, let's uh, let's transition and uh, and talk straight about today's sponsor, and that of course is Blue Apron. It's good to have those guys back supporting the show. Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country, and um, it, its mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Blue Apron achieves this by supporting a more sustainable food system and setting the highest standards for ingredients and building a community of home chefs. If you don't know what Blue Apron is, what it is, is that it's a meal delivery system, but it's not. It's not providing pre-made meals. It's providing you the fresh ingredients, the recipes, and the knowledge to be able to make those meals yourself at home. And that is part of the benefit of Blue Apron. You are getting the joy of cooking. And trust me, it is a massive joy to be able to cook your own food and cook high-quality food as well. And that is exactly what Blue Apron is allowing you to do. Blue Apron will ship you the exact amount of each ingredient that you require for a recipe, reducing food waste right across the country. Cooking together with your family builds stronger family bonds and research shows that Blue Apron families who cook, to, cook together nearly three times more often than people who don't have Blue Apron. And that's that's a huge thing. I'm trying to teach my son how to cook at the moment and getting something like Blue Apron is a great way to do that. Ingredients are all there. Instructions are clear, well set out and the, the meals that come out of it are, are restaurant quality. 
View people who do eat at restaurants a lot or high-end grocery chains, you can spend under $10 per person for an absolutely delicious meal from Blue Apron. Their upcoming meals, we've got seared chicken and creamy pasta salad with summer squash and sweet peppers, creamy shrimp rolls with quick pickles and sweet potato wedges, fresh basil fettuccine pasta with sweet corn and cubanelle pepper. What's a cubanelle pepper? Never heard of that one. Well, chili butter steaks and parmesan potatoes and spinach. Make sure you are checking out Blue Apron. It is something, if you like to eat at home, you like to cook, or, or if you're unsure about your cooking at home, Blue Apron, Blue Apron is the way to go because it will get you cooking at a much higher level extremely quickly. The food comes to you, so no chasing around markets, farmers markets, specialty stores. It all gets sent to you. The recipe's there. Don't need to decide what you're eating for dinner. It's already there. You just pick from the, the food that they have, and they send it to you. And you've got uh, great, great meals that come your way. It's easy, it's cheap, it's fresh. Go and check out Blue Apron. And check out, first of all, check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash LOFB. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash LOFB. Blue Apron is a better way to cook. All right, let's uh, let's talk, and I don't think I even mentioned what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about all the comings and goings in the NBA that have happened to date. There have been two days of free agency and a couple of trades before free agency. We can't talk 100% accurately about the, the uh, fantasy value of these players just yet because there are still moves that are to be made, and those moves that are going to be made could impact some of the ones that have, have already gone down. We'll start with the Chris Paul trade, with uh, Paul opting into his contract with the Clippers and being sent across to the Houston Rockets in exchange for a multitude of players, a bunch of guys on non-guaranteed salaries, but the main guys we want to talk about go back the other way are Patrick Beverly, Sam Decker, and Lou Williams. Obviously, the table, Montrez Harrell, also went back to the Clippers. So a big chunk of players, and honestly, that's a fairly good return for a player of the stature of Chris Paul, considering he could have just walked and left for nothing, and the, the Clippers could have got nothing out of it. But to get um, at least you know, two starter-level players with Williams and Beverly, and a guy who could develop into one, and, and Sam Decker's probably the best small forward the Clippers have had on their roster for the past 10 years, it feels like. So he could easily move into a starting role there, whereas the table comes in and, and could easily be the primary backup to DeAndre Jordan from the very from the very beginning of the season. So they get some key rotational guys, which is good for them, and they're not obviously not going for a rebuild with uh, the re-signing of Blake Griffin. So your guys like Beverly, um, Williams, Decker... I think we'll all have some decent fantasy value this season. It won't it won't be supremely high, and you're probably all going to be in the 100 to 130 sort of a range. Again, the Clippers could make some more moves, depending on what they do with Jamal Crawford, but they have lost J.J. Redick also. So, yeah, Lou Williams is going to have a decent role there at shooting guard. Pat Beverly at point guard also opens up some minutes. For, maybe, maybe, maybe Doc Rivers plays some rookies. Jawan Evans and Sindarius Thornwell, who are a point guard and shooting guard, respectively. So there is some playing time that could open for those guys, and those guys both translate to fantasy fairly well. As said, that at the three, we don't know what's happening with Luke Marmute just yet, so Sam Decker could move into some minutes there. He could play the backup four behind Blake Griffin and be an upgrade to what they've had there at the position, whereas the table's not going to get any starter sort of run. He's going to be a deeper league guy behind DeAndre Jordan, but he is there, and that's a name to watch for the future. I'm not as big a fan of, uh, of the table as my nickname for him might suggest. As for Chris Paul to the Rockets, 
obviously have to go through and do all the projections, but I think that this does knock both him and Harden down a couple of spots in the rankings. I don't think we'll see necessarily double digits out of either of these guys for assists next season, and that's going to move Harden from that number one player probably down to the four or five sort of a guy. We might see a dip in both of their scoring as well with an increase in efficiency and a decrease in turnovers, especially for Harden. But you know that when I'm looking at rankings, I'm not really giving a shit about turnovers whatsoever. So I think this does take Harden out of the conversation for number one, and I think the number one conversation is going to be Yanni, uh, Carl Anthony Towns, um, Durant, Davis, and Westbrook, although all of those guys have got situations, with the exception of other Kumpo, where you could say, oh, but what about this guy? Oh, but what about this guy? And then that's going to be the real trick. And I think you're going to find maybe five guys who are going to be really close to that number one ranking, meaning having a pick maybe five or six in a draft might end up being better because you might get a guy who's got a chance to be number one, and then you get that higher quality player in the second round, and you get that middle pick in each round. But again, we'll see how that all pans out. But that's the initial way that I'm looking at it, is that these guys at the top, Harden, Westbrook have, have taken a hit. Um, you've got Durant and Curry who are cannibalizing each other. Towns has got Butler there. And you've got Davis with Cousins. You've got uh, Andrew DeCumpo, who's really the only one who, who could take that step forward. So it is going to be a really interesting top-of-the-table sort of situation. That does bring me on to the Paul George trade. He heads across to India or from Indiana to Oklahoma City in exchange for Victor Oladipo and DeMontis Sabonis. I could get into all the trades that Kevin Pritchard apparently rejected, the ones from Boston, the, the weird offers that came from multitudes of different places. But at this point, it doesn't matter. He's gone to Oklahoma City. Let's talk about what Indiana gets back at this point. Sabonis isn't much chop, I don't think. Look, the paces are clearly, in, and let's let's be honest, there are going to be some absolutely shitful teams in the East next year. Indiana, Atlanta, Chicago, uh, the Nets, the Knicks, the Magic. Or they're going to be some absolutely shit-ass teams in that conference. The paces are going to be horrendous. So they could look to move on from a guy like Thad Young as well, and maybe that opens up some playing time for Sabonis, but we didn't see much from a fantasy point of view anyway that should get us too excited about DeMontis Sabonis last season. What it does do is it opens things up extraordinarily well for Miles Turner, and he should be a top 20 player, I think, in most formats. Again, the projections are still a few weeks away from being uh, from being looked at. So uh, I can't say that with 100% assurity, but he is going to get a bump. As for Oladipo, he is another player who could come back to approaching the top 20. Their paces are in a weird situation. They don't have a point guard. They've got three shooting guards who handle the ball, Oladipo, Monte Ellis, and Lance Stevenson. So what they do at that point guard position is really going to be interesting. Do they try and put Oladipo back into that role? As I detailed on the Oklahoma City Thunder Season in Review podcast, the big reason that Victor Oladipo's rankings dropped so far was his assist numbers went down by half and his defensive stats dropped quite a bit. His scoring was fine, his three-pointers were fine, his efficiency was fine, apart from his free throws, which dropped a weird amount as well. But he has got a real chance to bounce back and maybe become a top 20 guy. I'll never take him in that zone. But you know, I feel fairly confident that we're going to have a top 40 season from Victor Oladipo next, next season. I feel pretty good about that. I also feel pretty good about the fact that you probably won't have to take him in that zone. I think he's going to be in for a really big year for the Pacers. And everyone who say he, says he had a real terrible... People are saying that he was terrible last season for Oklahoma City, and I do not buy that at all. He was disappointing, especially from a fantasy point of view, and yeah, he wasn't necessarily what they lost in Kevin Durant. 
but he wasn't terrible by any stretch of any imagination. And yes, this contract at $20 million looks high, but when you're going to see Contemus Coyle Pope get $25 million, when you're going to see Otto Porter get $25 million a year, I don't think that $20 million a year for Victor Oladipo when this season ends is going to look expensive at all. Now, while there's probably not much value in it, it's definitely not going to be an overpay. Now, as for Paul George heading to Oklahoma City, well, we still don't know what's going to happen in OKC. Who's their power for? It's pretty much going to have to be Paul George at this point. Is Andre Robertson coming back? Who's starting at the two? There are a lot of questions for this team. Do they put Doug McDermott into the starting lineup? Does Alex Abrines come into the starting lineup? Because they lost two starters. Uh, in Oladipo and Sabonis, and the guy then who then replaced Sabonis was Taj Gibson. They also lost him. So there are two openings in this starting lineup. One of them will be filled by George, but who fills the other one? Who gets that other starting lineup spot? With George coming and Westbrook there, obviously, it is going to impact Westbrook's statistical output. He's not going to have a 40-plus usage rate. It's going to drop. It probably won't drop it 100% down to what the levels we saw of him with Kevin Durant, but I think you should be looking at that as a more realistic expectation. Now, in that case, he was still a top five player, and I still expect him to be probably the number two or number three guy this season. He might even still be number one, but he's not going to be a clear-cut number one with Paul George there now, who's going to be taking the ball out of his hands somewhat, and and Westbrook won't be running at a 40-plus percent usage rate. I think we can almost lock that in and guarantee that that won't be the case. So he's just another player, like James Harden, like Chris Paul, like Kyle Anthony Towns, who have been joined by another top 15 talent who are going to ta- who's going to take some of the value away from him, and that's going to be the case with Paul George as well. There are three major trades that have happened since I, since I last spoke to you. Let's talk about some free agent signings. Now, the ones that went back to their own team, there's not going to be a massive amount to talk about with those, but I will go through it all. I think this is everything that's happened so far. We'll start with the Raptors with a couple of signings there. Kyle Lowry, three years, $100 million, and Serge Barker for three years, $65 million. Good for the Raptors that Lowry came back. Masai Ujiri has all sort of tied these guys into the same timeline. Lowry, Ibaka, and DeRozan will all become free agents at the same time. They'll all be uh, older at that point. Lowry pushing 35, I believe, at Barker at 30. And DeRozan, uh, I think, around 30 as well at that point. And then he can reassess what they want to do. People might look at three years, 100 men. I'm so sick of this shit like you see on sports. And, oh, they're playing with Monopoly money. Oh, these money for these players is outrageous. It just is what it is. Like, where do you want the money to go? If the league's generating this money, do you want it to go to the owners? Where's the money going to go? If they've got this money to pay, they can pay it. And while you can talk about Lowry's failures in the playoffs, and he has struggled as seasons have worn on, I've mentioned this many, many times on the show, what else were they going to do in this spot? Who else were they going to bring in? The point guard market was is a weird one, and it continues to be a weird one. We see Derek Rose and George Hill basically not really getting a sniff at the moment, and players not getting the size contracts that they would have hoped for. None of those four, five-year deals for Lowry or Teague or Hill that they would have been anticipating. It just wasn't there. And a Barker at $20 million plus a year, I think it's okay. Like they are, they're gonna, Looks like they're going to commit to him back as playing the center a lot of times. It obviously leads, uh, leaves Jonas Valanciunas in a precarious spot, but he could get traded even by the time you listen to this. So there are a few things happening there, but those two guys are back with the Raptors. Let's move now on to Taj Gibson, who signed a two-year $28 million t- contract with the Timberwolves. This was always slated to happen with Tom Thibodeau there, wants to bring his own guys back, and it's a little bit uh, unclear as to what's going to happen here. Some people think this is the end of Gorgie Jing. I'm not so sure. I don't think that Taj starts for this team. I think that Taj is probably not good enough at this point. 
he was okay. He's never been... I think from what Taj is, a, a good bloke, real hard player, all that sort of stuff, he's not as good as what some of his reputation makes him out to be. And yes, two years, 2080, he's coming across. They're paying Gorgi Jeng more than that. Uh, Jeng was a very, very good defender for this team last year. Neither of them are stretch fours, which is actually what they needed. So it's not like Gibson's coming in to provide, you know, this is the option they really need. It is going to give them more flexibility at backup centre, but Towns are going to play 40 minutes a night. So where are the extra minutes going there? I think it does impact Jeng, and then he's not going to have any potential to be a top 50 player. I think he can still maybe sneak into the top 100. I would have him playing like a 26-minute role and maybe Gibson a 24 or 25-minute role at, at this early stage. So yeah, that takes Jeng's value down a little bit. It also is not going to make Taj a standard league player, I don't think. Gibson would need 30-plus minutes to be a standard league player. He just doesn't have a great statistical or fantasy profile. Jody Meeks signs a two-year, $7 million contract with the Washington Wizards. Yeah, I guess he's signing there just in case Boyan Bogdanovich leaves, who apparently Boyan is looking for a three-year, $16 million per season type of deal. Now, Boyan, I don't know who you're kidding, mate. You're not that good. I wouldn't be offering three years, $16 million for Boyan Bogdanovich. Um, so the Wizards could just say, fine, see you later. We've got Jody Meeks. And if you look at the numbers, Meeks in the second half of last year was actually fairly solid for Orlando. He was playing 20 minutes a night. He was hitting his threes at a great rate. And that is something that this Wizards bench, which has been piss poor, really does need someone to come in and be a reliable shooter and scorer. He's not going to have any sort of real fantasy impact, but I think it's a decent signing. Kyle Corver returns to the Cavs three years, $22 million. I do not understand this at all. Uh, the, the tax that they're going to be paying is obviously huge. Corver was fine, but $7 million a year for Kyle Corver for three years as well. Uh, the guys you know, wound down quite a bit last season, another three seasons. I think that could look pretty ugly by by this season, to be honest, and he's not going to be a standard league fantasy guy. Nene returns to Houston at three years, $11 million after the initial over 38 rule stuff up by the, the Rockets that avoided that initial contract, which was four years, $15 million, I think. The return of Nene... It does put a little bit of a dampener on a guy like Clint Capella, but by the end of the season, we were seeing Nene play much fewer minutes um, and Capella getting closer up to 30. I don't think Capella will play 30, but Nene will be there just to provide that pain in the ass that we all enjoy so much when it comes to our fantasy centers. But he will be there. He will be key for this team. He played very well for them, but he's not going to be able to play big minutes loads, obviously. Back with the Rockets, PJ Tucker, four years, $32 million. That's huge for them. It replaces, I think, the role that Sam Decker had as that backup 3-4. They'll enable him to, to switch into lineups at the end of games when they don't want Ryan Anderson out there. So he's going to, he'll play more than Sam Decker. He's not going to be a standard league sort of guy. He's a deeper league player, but a guy that can hit some threes, get some steals, get some rebounds, and he's a real key piece to this team in the West. Jesus, the Western Conference just continues to look strong. Andre Iguodala back to the Warriors for three years, $48 million. Good deal for both teams. Uh, he's back there. No no breakout for Pat McCaw coming, although with Ian Clark potentially gone, McCaw could move into those minutes and get some extra run there. Well, Joe Ingles returns to the Jazz for four years and $52 million. Um, yeah, good on Joe. He was always going to get that money. Yes, I see some dickhead saying that's a horrible contract. It's clearly not a horrible contract. It's a great deal for them, and let's see how that actually pans out with Gordon Hayward. Now, I, there is something I do did forget to actually talk about, so let's talk about it now. 
coaching, Rick Rubio was traded from the Minnesota Timberwolves over to the Utah Jazz for the Oklahoma City Thunders 2018 first round draft pick. A lot of people down on this move for the Jazz, thinking it's a big downgrade. I know that the Jazz need shooting, but Rubio is awesome. Um, I, I don't like the move from the Wolves to get rid of Rubio. Oh, look, no, actually, that's not true. I know what the Wolves needed to do, because they did need to get shooting at that position. Now, Jeff Teague is a better shooter than Ricky Rubio. I don't think that Jeff Teague is a great shooter. He had a an okay year from three last year, I think 35%. He had some pretty good... Um, catch and shoot numbers which is which is great you know really really high up in the catch and shoot numbers I just don't think he's a good point guard I don't think he's a great I think he's worse than Rubio but I understand he fits what they need to do better now as for Rubio with the Jazz defensively he is going to be out of control you're looking at two steals plus here assist numbers they're going to be through the roof and hopefully he can continue his increased usage and scoring and shooting percentage that we saw over the last two to three months of last season so I don't think that this changes a huge amount for Rubio in fact I think he's going to be playing or no he's going to be playing with lower usage players he's not going to have Wiggins he's not going to have Towns who are dominating so much of the ball Levine as well you go to Utah and let's assume that Gordon Haywood's back you got Haywood but Rocket Rodney Hood's not taking that many shots Derek Favors Boris Dia whatever they're doing at power for there that's not a huge amount of shots Rudy Gobert's not dominating usage so Rubio's going to have a chance to actually have a, a pretty big year in uh, in Utah so I'm pretty excited about that uh, for him back to some other free agent signings Jose Calderon goes to the Cavs one year 2.3 million dollars absolutely no idea why they why they do that they want to back a point guard cool Calderon was terrible last year he barely he couldn't play at all for the Lakers or for the Hawks he struggled the year before I have absolutely no idea what the rush for the Cavs was to go out and sign Jose Calderon I don't think he solves any of their problems Michael Carter-Williams goes to the Hornets for a one-year $2.7 million contract. They needed a backup point guard. They don't have Ramon Sessions anymore. He was terrible anyway. Briante Webber's around now. Carter-Williams is not good, not a good shooter. We know that, but maybe pairing him with a guy like Malik Monk will be useful here. Then you can switch Monk onto the smaller point guards. Carter-Williams, with his size, can then guard shooting guards as well. And his defense will be will be pretty nice for a team that is going to be having Monk and Kemba Walker in their backcourt at times. Having someone with some length and some defensive ability, which is what Carter-Williams does possess, might be useful. Now, he's not going to get enough minutes to be a fantasy contributor or anything like that but he is a guy that when he does get the opportunity can put up stats in decent sized bunches so it, it's not it's not something to totally write off and I think he's a much bigger upgrade than what they had there with Ramon Sessions the Philadelphia 76ers have signed Amir Johnson to a one-year 11 million dollar contract I'm not really sure of the purpose for this at power forward you've got Simmons and Sharich at center you've got Embiid Okafor and Rashawn Holmes so where does Amir Johnson fit into that does he move to the backup center role ahead of Okafor and Holmes maybe God, I just don't know where I don't know where he fits I don't know what the purpose of this is for Amir Johnson now Amir Johnson's a fine player but he's he's past his prime by a fair degree the ankle injuries have really worn him down and I don't really know what this means for for where he fits into this rotation. I would assume it puts him straight at backup center ahead of Holmesy and Okafor. What I would have thought Rashawn Holmes showed enough last year to be that backup center behind Joel Embiid. The other thing we heard about the, the Sixers is that, and I don't know why this was even a question, that Marco Fultz won't have any minutes restrictions. I, I don't know why we anticipated or anyone anticipated that he would, but we did hear that. We also heard that uh, that Simmons and Embiid wouldn't have minutes restrictions, so that's great. But 
we also heard that expecting Simmons and Embiid to play in back-to-backs is probably taking it a little bit too far. So especially for the beginning of the season, I'd expect Simmons and Embiid to sit out some of those back-to-backs. It might not be for long. It might be like a John Wall back-to-back situation that we had last year, which lasted about two back-to-back sets. But the good thing is they said that they won't have minutes restrictions. So that's a huge positive for both Simmons and Embiid moving forward. JJ Redick also signs with the Sixers a one-year $23 million contract. Obviously, that's a huge amount, but for the Sixers, it's awesome to get him on a one-year deal. They've got the cap space. Why not spend it? They're going to make a push for the playoffs, and I reckon they're going to make it. With the Bulls, the Hawks, and the Pacers all falling out of the playoffs, I think, this season, or at least falling down, the Sixers have got a chance to elevate themselves above those guys. If Embiid stays healthy, if Fultz is decent, if Simmons is decent, if you know, a few other guys take a step forward, and adding Redick does really help there. Now, it obviously reduces the value of Timotei Lawawu Cabrero, who put on a really strong performance at the end of last season. Um, and there were a lot of people asking me, you know, what do we make of him for next season? I think I said, well, what we need to see is what happens in free agency, because I'm not convinced they're going to go into the year with him starting at shooting guard, and it appears that that will be the case. The other thing I need to address with the Sixers is that Bobkov's still going to start. I don't see any way that... You know, I see people saying, oh, yeah, they'll run out uh, Fultz, Redick, Saric, Simmons, and Embiid. No, they won't. Saric will not start. Saric will be the sixth man he plays the backup for. Covington is one of the most elite defenders in the NBA. He's like the number one small forward defensive player by ESPN's Real Plus Minus. He He's key to what they do. He will play. He might not be a top 40 player, but he will 100% be a top 100 guy. And his game is not based on usage. It's not, And it's not, oh, Fultz is there and Simmons is there. They're all going to take the shots away. It's not based on that. It's based on the fact that he blocks shots, he gets steals, and he hits threes. And he can chime in with some boards as well. And he's going to be able to, he's going to be relied upon to do all that as well. So Bob Covey is going to remain starting and he's going to be a fantasy standard league player. David West goes back to the Warriors on a one-year $2.3 million deal. That just impacts the likelihood of Jordan Bell really stepping into a larger role this year as a rookie, but I don't think there's too much to worry about there. I think probably one of the worst deals of free agency was Langston Galloway going for three years, $21 million for the Pistons. And that's not to say that I don't think Galloway is a good player, but it's the fact that it literally puts the Pistons in a hard cap situation. If someone offers Kentavious Corwell Pope the max, the way that the Pistons are currently structured, they cannot match it because it puts them over the hard cap, not over the tax, over the hard cap. Now, they have got trades in place to make those deals to sign KCP if that's the case, but I don't think that you needed to rush out to sign Langston Galloway to a contract that size that puts you in that predicament where you have to then where you have to then trade away guys in order to fit Contavious Caldwell Pope in. Now Galloway is what they need. They need shooting. Now they did just draft Canard. They got Ish, they got Reggie Jackson, they're gonna have KCP, so he fits in as maybe a fourth guard at this point, maybe ahead of Canard, maybe a fifth guard. And yeah, the contract in itself is not bad, but the situation the Pistons in does make it a weird one. He's obviously not going to have too much fantasy appeal. My boy Tone Snell, four years, $46 million. This sort of contract was always on the books. I'm glad my team didn't offer it, although if it had been the Bulls offering it, um, you know that Snell would have been shit because that's what he was for three years. Now, I had one of my tweets uh, exposed by the uh, old takes exposed Twitter hashtag where I said that Michael Carter-Williams was at least 100 times better than Tony Snell. And to be fair, at the time, Tony Snell was absolute garbage. He was shit house, and Carter-Williams had been serviceable. That obviously changed 100% this season, and I was wrong, and Snell was 100 times better than what Carter Williams was during that time. 
Um, I sort of think that Tone Snell's good. He's not going to be a fantasy contributor. Um, yes, the, the Bucks won't have Jabari Parker to start the season, but once Parker comes back in January, I think you see Snell move to the bench and you run Brogdon, Middleton, Adelokounmpo, Jabari and Thon. Snell doesn't fit. He's a sixth man and that's where he will be. And that's what his value is. The 24 minute a night sort of a guy who occasionally hits threes and provides okay defense. He is a terrible, terrible fantasy player and you shouldn't be looking at him in anything, I think, outside of probably 20 team leagues. Steph Curry, the easiest free agency decision of the whole time period. Five years, $201 million. That's fine. Always going to happen. Shawnee Livingston goes back to the Warriors at three years, 24. They're just bringing the whole band back together, so nothing to really see there. While Paddy Mills goes back to the Spurs at four years and $50 million. I was a little bit surprised this. I don't rate Paddy Mills as high as some other people. I don't think that he can be a starting point guard full-term or full-time in the league. He's going to have to be that to start next season as the Spurs go into it without Tony Parker. They've obviously got two young guys in DeJounte Murray and Derek White, but they don't feel comfortable about giving those guys the reins. But I wouldn't be shocked to see Murray actually be the starter, play 21 minutes, and Mills comes in and plays 27. Because although in the playoffs Mills did start, any other time during the regular season, we'd see Murray play the 20-plus minutes and Mills not get 30. And I think that might be the case again. Millsy can have some value and he might be worth a, a draft towards the end of a draft just for those first couple of months of the season. Maybe he can put together a top 100 season for the first two, three months of the year. But after that, his value is limited. He's not a high assist guy. He gets some threes and he scores, but he's not a well-rounded fantasy contributor. So it's not, not a deal that I love. Jeff Teague. He goes to the Wolves. Three years, $57 million. It's not a bad contract. Um, I I don't love Teague. Again, I would have preferred Rubio. Contract was better. Player is better. But I understand the need for some shooting there at that spot. George Hill would have been a much better option, in my opinion as a player and getting a guy like Drew Holiday would have been yeah, better. I think that they're both better guys than, than Teague. Teague started off last season horrendously, but actually started to come together quite well at the end of the season. But if I was worried about him heading into Indiana with Paul George and Monte Ellis' usage, heading into Minnesota is a huge, it's a bigger deal because Wiggins, Butler and Towns, he's going to be the fourth option on offense. So I think that you're going to see Teague slide down draft boards and rightfully so because he won't be getting those, he won't be getting those same amount of shot attempts. Now maybe that increases efficiency, maybe his assist can go up, I think he averaged seven a game last season. Maybe he can do that, but don't tell me that Jimmy Butler's not going to handle the ball a ton on this team. He is going to work as the pseudo point guard a lot also on on this team, and I don't see Teague as being able to crack the top 40 and maybe not the top 50. had someone ask me the other day, at this point, who do you want, Schroeder or Teague? And to me, it's it's pretty clearly Schroeder on a team where he's going to be probably pushing the usage of 30%, to be honest, and running everything himself. Whereas T goes to a team where he will be the fourth option and his shots won't be there and he just won't have the ball in his hands quite as much. Cristiano Felizio signs a four-year, $32 million contract with the Bulls. It's the only move that the... Oh, sorry, they've made two moves. It's the only restricted free agency move that the, the Bulls have made, signing Felizio to come back. I think Felizio's got some decent upside, and I wouldn't be surprised if he is starting at centre at some point this year with Robin Lopez moved on. And he can be a strong rebounder. He's not going to be a, a fantasy starter or anything like that, but there are going to be times this year where he is going to be an ownable player. Drew Holiday, five years, $126 million. The Pelicans had to do this. They had no other option. A lot of people are very critical of this and people putting out, you know, oh, how many 
yeah, he's missed 140 games in the last four years, and I think that's really disingenuous as a stat, and it's not that it's not true, but statistics always need context, and while that's, that is true, he's missed those games. He missed a ton of games in the first two of those four years with his leg injury. He had surgery in February 2015 on the stress fracture in his leg, missed the rest of that season, and then since then, he hasn't had an injury. 15, 16, you can look that he, he missed a few games. Well, that was because they were managing that injury. And the reason they managed it is because it was a long-term process. We had to keep his minutes down. He had to miss a few back-to-backs. In order for this surgery to stick, that's what needed to be done. And the success rate from that surgery and the management procedure is extraordinarily high. So I don't think that there's any issue with Drew Holiday's legs anymore. He hasn't had a stress issue for two years. Over two years now. And again, that start to 15-16 is not something I'm really worried about because it was all part of the recovery and management plan. Yes, he did miss some games at the end of 15-16 where he got punched in the face and broke his eye socket. That's got nothing to do with being injury prone. It's getting to do with getting punched in the face. That's got nothing to do with it. I don't worry about that. And then the games he missed last year, they weren't an injury. His missus had a brain tumor. Like that's, that's why he missed games last year. So I don't have any issue with that. Now, for fantasy, he struggled when DeMarcus Cousins came. He was killing it. He was like a top 20 guy before Cousins arrived. He was absolutely flying. Cousins came and he dropped off, but he dropped off in weird ways. For some reason, his shot wouldn't fall at all. And that was the weird part of it. It wasn't that he wasn't getting shots. It wasn't that his assists were way off. It wasn't that his defense wasn't there. It was the fact that he just couldn't hit any shots. And I don't think that's going to be a problem that necessarily continues. I don't think Drew's got that top 20 upside necessarily with both Cousins and, and Davis there. But I think he, he should be a solid player for this team. And I think it's a move they had to make. Blake Griffin, it goes back to the Clippers at five years, $173 million. I'm not sure that's a move they had to make. I wouldn't have done it personally. It sort of is going to keep them at the eighth seed zone. Now, Griffin himself, if he stays healthy, he's got a real chance to be a top 20 player. He'll handle the ball more. There's, uh, I, could, uh, I could see a situation where he averages six assists a game, 20 points a game, and yeah, he's eight rebounds or so extends out to three he's got a real chance to be a dominant player but his injury history is the real issue that's going to probably prevent us from picking him inside the top 20 in fantasy drafts but he's in a a really interesting situation now on this new look Clippers team Paulie Millsap heads to the Nuggets late last night three years 90 million dollars great for the Nuggets to avoid that fourth year. The Hawks didn't offer him a contract at all, so they're they're completely rebuilding this. And in the Hawks, they've got no Dwight, no Paul Millsap. John Collins, if he is in line to start for this team, he is going to be a must-draft player and could be the fantasy rookie of the year if, if it all goes to plan. But he is the name to watch. As for Millsap and the Nuggets, people asking, how does it affect Jokic? Well, I don't think it has too much of an impact on Jokic. The assist is still going to be there. It gives him a better player to play with. It gives him more defensive coverage. I think what you're going to have is finally the front court of Denver having two guys that they can play 30-plus minutes to and having some consistency in that rotation. So I think it's going to be good for Jokic. It also might help his foul trouble to have someone there who's a better defender. As for what it does for Millsap's value, Millsap fell off a lot lot last year. Now, some of that is age-related. Some of that was Dwight Howard-related. Him coming across to Denver can do a couple of things. It's not reversing the age, of course, but the Dwight factor is real. And what I think it can allow is Millsap's block numbers to come back up. 
but I'm not sure his rebound numbers will necessarily come up because Nikola Jokic is a fabulous rebounder as well, and he will get a ton of those boards too. So I don't think that Millsap's rebounding necessarily comes back up, but I expect his blocks too. His steal rate is going to be high. Good blocks, the scoring, the threes are always average, but I think that he comes back maybe to being a back-end second-round guy rather than a top-end second-round guy. Maybe he's a, oh no, maybe he's not even that high, maybe he's a third-round guy, but I don't think it impacts Jokic too much. It doesn't impact Jokic the way that, say, Paul George coming to OKC does, or Chris Paul coming to Houston does with Harden. I don't think that Millsap joining Jokic has that big of an impact. Obviously, it reduces the likelihood of Mason Plumlee, whether he even comes back or not, but the minutes that he gets, it really eliminates guys like Darrell Arthur and Ken Fareed out there as well, and it pushes um, it pushes guys like Juancho Hernan Gomez to be more of a three, and we don't know what's happening with the Roosty yet, so I can't be 100% convinced or, or sure on what's happening with Denver, just because we, we don't know what's happening with Gallinari, and that could be a, a, big, uh, a big factor in how all this stuff plays out. Benny McLemore goes to the Grizzlies on a two-year, $10.7 million deal. We know they need three-point shooters, and he has shown that he can be a shooter in the past. Um, with Tone Allen likely returning, I don't think that McLemore is necessarily going to start, but you know, Troy Daniels is the guy that you're looking at as the backup too there. There's a chance for him in deeper leagues to really start to shine out, and if Allen struggles and gets injured, which is a possibility given his age, I wouldn't be surprised to see McLemore have some times when he becomes a useful waiver wire player. He has shown signs of it before, and he did show some signs of it last season for Sacramento and before George Carl arrived, but he has stagnated somewhat, and he's probably not going to be a big fantasy impact guy. Justin Holiday returns to the Bulls after one season with the Knicks. Two years, $9 million. Don't really understand this move. He's 28 years of age. The Bulls are in rebuild mode. Just give those minutes on the wings to Zipser and Paul Valentine. I'm not really sure what Holiday is going to do there. I like Holiday as a player. He's not going to be getting 30 minutes a night, I don't think. Hopefully, they give that to, to Valentine and Zipser. Um, interesting to see how they use him in the rotation, but he's going to be a name to watch in deeper leagues. Wayne Selden returns to the Grizzlies. Ronnie Baker returns to the Knicks. And, and the Celtics signed Daniel Tice, I think it is, uh, an overseas player. Um, I don't think that he's going to have really any impact in this rotation at all. The other guys who have signed Bogdan Bogdanovich to the Kings on a three-year, $27 million deal. With them having absolutely no wings, Bogdan could play at the three, even though he's more of a two, or they play Buddy Heald there. He's in line for some pretty decent minutes, and he, at this early stage, he could be a draftable player. Now, there are still some wings out there. Maybe Rudy Gay still goes back there. Who knows what happens with what the Kings do, but Bogdanovich has a decently friendly fantasy game, and there are minutes opened up there at the Kings for him, so that's interesting. Well, Joe Chi, the 7'2 Chinese center, has signed with the Rockets. He, he's got really tremendous fantasy upside fantastic translations but obviously with Capella and Nene there he moves into the tables role as the third center and he's going to be just a deeper league guy and a dynasty type player but he's going to be a very very interesting dynasty player with his uh yeah his translations looking absolutely superb blocks scoring rebounding really good percentages as well he could be in a big role if he could ever get to a big role which is a, a big a big if much like a, a Boban sort of an if he would be a top 100 player in that sort of situation at some point in the future. So he is a name to watch for uh, for the future, as I said. 
that is all the free agency moves that have been done as of this time, which I'm recording this on the uh, the morning of the 3rd of July before I head across to uh, Utah Summer League later on today. There'll be more moves that go down. I'll be back tomorrow with a recap of the first day of Utah Summer League and any more free agency signings that have gone down. Again, I apologize about the infernal noise that's going on during this show. Hopefully, I'm able to edit most of it out. No, it's driving me crazy. Hopefully, it doesn't drive you too crazy. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or TuneIn, and leave a review. It's the best way to help support this show. And the other great way is to go to blueapron.com slash LOFB and claim your free three meals from Blue Apron and start cooking restaurant-quality meals at home today. We are done here, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. PJ Tucker.